Hello, my name is EJ Schultz, Assistant Managing Editor for AdAge, and welcome to the AdLib Podcast, weekly discussions with newsmakers in the marketing, media, and agency industries. On this week's episode, we catch up with Allison Witherspoon, VP of Marketing, Communications, and Media at Nissan North America. Allison began leading the automaker's U.S. marketing in early 2019 after holding a global role in Japan. She previously was U.S. Director of Marketing and Media for Nissan-owned Infinity. Earlier in her career, she worked at several ad agencies. On the podcast, she talks about how Nissan responded in the early days of the pandemic and what the automaker is doing now to restore buyer confidence. The moves include a new campaign starring actress Brie Larson. Witherspoon also talks about how the pandemic has accelerated online car buying and why she thinks the trend is here to stay. Finally, Allison discusses what lessons she learned while in Japan and how those learnings continue to inform her management style. And now, my conversation with Allison. Hi, Allison. Welcome to the AdLib podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here virtually. So automakers were among, I believe, the first brands to really aggressively communicate during COVID. And I think Nissan was among those brands putting out messaging about how you're responding. Can you take us back to March? Sure. And explain what, what it was like and kind of what, what you guys did at, at the beginning. Sure. It, it feels March feels like it's so long ago, um, but I think what was interesting for us and and over the last few months has really been about the ability to quickly pivot based on what's going on and what the consumer reaction sentiment was. In early March, we were at the very very beginning of launching our our latest new model, which is the all new Sentra. We had a full marketing plan. We had Brie Larson was was you know kind of one of our featured heroes in the spot. NCAA Final Four was one of the main marketing pillars that we had. And essentially in a matter of hours, you know, once the restrictions were put into place, once the NCAA was canceled, it became very clear that we had to quickly shift and pivot away from what that plan was. You know, I think a a typical product marketing um, without any indication of what was going on, you know, in the outside world was just going to feel tone deaf. And so we immediately kind of shifted out of all of that media. We also had um, a retail event that was going on. We also shifted out of that and we're working very closely with our dealers on it and then put together, um, you know, working amongst, you know, cross-functionally with the different teams within Nissan, putting together what we could offer to consumers to make this time a little bit easier if they were in the market for a car, as well as if they needed help or service, you know, if they were an existing Nissan owner. So it was quickly going away from trying to promote or push car sales, which that's what we do, you know, 360 days out of the year and really talking about what we're going to be offering to consumers to make this time a little bit easier for them. So we, we quickly shifted those plans. You know, we, we went um, into the market, you know, took away all of the approval processes and some of the bureaucracy that happens to get things into market and just eliminated all of that and did it all virtually and remotely. So we came into market with um, some COVID related messaging. And then we kept building on top of that. And, and as things in society and as things in the community were changing with the pandemic, um, we evolved our messaging. And especially over the last few weeks, as markets have started to open up, we're looking and we're providing a range of assets depending on where the different markets are in the opening up and recovery process. 
So that's the part I want to dig into a little bit. How do you stir demand again? And I know you you now have come out with the Brie Larson ad. And I want to ask you about that. But first, we're going to play a clip of the ad. Okay. So I'm going to hold on promoting you this quarter. Cool. Drop the taco. Get in the car. Does this Sentra feel like a compromise to you? Wait, what? The handling. It's good, right? No compromise there. Nope. Watch this. Rear automatic braking. So if this Nissan Sentra isn't going to compromise, why should you? You're right. That a girl. The all-new Nissan Sentra with more standard safety features than any other car in its class. So clearly, you've said that ad was recorded or was filmed before the pandemic. Correct. How did you decide that it, the time was right now to put it out? So we were, we've been over the last several months, we've been looking at a lot of the data to start to look at where is, when is consumer demand going to come? So we've been looking at a lot of search data at a DMA level, even, um, and looking at where are, are people starting to come back online? What we saw at the very beginning was demand declined immediately and it was swift and it was steep. And once you started to see week over week improvements in some of those key digital metrics, it was clear that we needed to quickly pivot. We looked at what was going on in other parts of the world, and particularly China. And in China, they were working on a transitional messaging from kind of the start of the crisis to recovery, and there needed to be a transition there. So we, we put that in place, but we also knew we needed to get back out quickly once the market returned. And so looking at what the data was telling us, looking at where the, cons the consumer sentiment was, talking to our dealers on the ground, um, that's when we were able to start pulling forward um, and getting back into that Sintra and product-specific messaging. That messaging, actually, that'll start in mid-June, um, but we do have more of a cross-car line retail kind of back on the road. It's summer vacation time. That messaging is in place right now. So the the comeback is sort of uneven across the country and, and different states, even different towns are in different situations. So how are you dealing with that in terms of where, how you determining where to put your communication and how this changed the way you would have done things under normal times? Yeah, it's, it's definitely shifted it. We've been working very closely with our dealers. So we have a national program in place, and then we also have a tier two program that's in place. That's a regional marketing program. And we're leveraging that regional pro marketing program a lot because it, it's, it's segmented by DMA. So the DMAs that are a little bit further along in the recovery process, you know, they're starting to add back more product-related messaging, more retail-related messaging. And then some of the markets that are a little bit, you know, still in the middle of, of the peak of the crisis, especially in the Northeast, they're still, they still have a more COVID-related messaging area. So I think what's, what's really changed for us is the need to have a range of messaging depending on what the market dynamics are and getting that out very quickly um, and having it in place. And I want to get into the retail side of this in a minute, but but we should talk about the ad itself because it could be a little bit of a change for you guys in terms of your creative approach, but I wanted to let you explain that if that's true. The use of a celebrity, Brie Larson, I don't remember Nissan doing a lot of celebrity advertising. Perhaps I'm wrong, but can you can you help me out here? Sure. Yeah, we haven't done a lot of it in the past. I think we've done big sponsorships and, and kind of align with, with big, um, whether it's movies or big, uh, big kind of product placements. We haven't used a lot of celebrity in the past. What we were looking to do with this actually is it was really about what is the best way to tell the story for Centra. And with Centra, the, tr the product truth is that 
this car is, there were no compromises that were made about the car. It has all of the design, all of the safety technology, you know, all of the performance, all of that is in a very accessible and hot package. And what we wanted to do is how do we tell that no compromises story? So we looked at, we wanted to have kind of a hero um, be able to explain the idea of no compromises. And so the idea started with that. And then we thought about what is the right way to, who's the right type of hero? So we actually started looking at heroes. And obviously, you know, Brie is a superhero, both in her personal life as well as professionally. And so she was the, the right choice, right, you know, from the very beginning to help tell the story. And in discussions with her, you know, she really, you know, she really responded to this idea of no compromises and you don't have to sacrifice design or safety technology if you're looking for an accessible car. And it's, you're, you're playing a little bit into a kind of a female empowerment message here in terms of standing up for your career, right? I think, I mean, to me, that's actually a universal message, you know, male or female. It's really about kind of making sure that you're advocating for yourself. And I think that applies both to men and to women. So, Back to the retail side, I know a lot during the pandemic, a lot of retailers shifted to online selling, delivering cars, um, which is a change for the auto industry. Um, assess that situation and, and explain what you guys did that from the auto, you know, from the automaker level to support your dealers. Yeah. So this has been maybe one of the, the, I don't think it's surprising that, you know, people are shopping online. That's not, that's not a new trend, especially in retail. It isn't as prevalent though in the automotive space. And a lot of that has to do with the relationship between the manufacturer and the dealers and which who are franchisees. For us, when you look at how people are shopping and how they want to shop, you know, we we had been moving in the direction of how do we add more digital online tools? How do we move towards e-commerce? And, and what does that look like? And I think based on what we're seeing and based on how consumers were shopping, especially beginning in March, and it just grew and grew and grew over time, is that they were wanting to have interactions online. You know, the, the first part of it is that you know, over 30% of our dealer network was closed due to local restrictions. So then it removed the ability to even be able to go to a dealership. In a lot of states, dealers were able to do virtual retailing. And so that was the catalyst that really set into motion, we need to have those tools in place. We were already working on building them, but it was about accelerating those. So we were taking some of the e-commerce plans that we already had in place and that were in progress, but they could have launched you know, a couple of months out or even a year out and started really accelerating those. And we got our most recent one, which is Shop at Home, which is on NissanUSA.com. You know, we moved that forward and were able to get that into market quickly where it wasn't supposed to launch for another few months. Explain what sh- what Shop at Home does and what virtual retail is like in the automotive industry. Yeah, and for Shop at Home on NissanUSA.com, it's really creating a very simple way for consumers to have all of the shopping tools and get through an online virtual shopping process. So if it's um, estimating your payments, if it's about configuring the car, having kind of a one stop place where you can do that. And then when you're ready to start moving more into a transaction mode and then connecting them quickly with the dealers, it's really about packaging up all the online digital tools and putting them in one place as opposed to kind of spread out on the, on the site and then creating that quick connection to the dealer. Um, so it's, it's, again, it's, it's about the packaging piece of it. And what we're seeing, and I think this has been common in the automotive industry, especially over the last few weeks, 
it's making it's about making things much easier for consumers and that's even if people are interested in you know pickup and delivery at home how do you provide those services and we've been working very closely with our dealers on that piece of it um, because I think moving forward consumers are really going to be trying or they're really going to be driving how they want to interact and some are still going to go to dealerships and that that behavior is still going to be in place but for consumers that are much more comfortable doing all of that online, how do we provide those tools for them? And that's what we're looking at. And it goes back to being able to provide a range based on what's going on, you know, in society. But really, it's about reacting to consumer demand and being able to adapt to how they're wanting to shop. So do you have dealers where now I could buy, complete the entire process online and have a car delivered to my home? You can't do the full actual transaction. Not all that can be done online, but you can get as close to, to that as quickly as possible. We have kind of e-sign, which you, you can do. We're getting as closely as you possibly can, given kind of the current tools that are in place. But I, is it true I don't have to step foot in a dealer at any point? There is that possibility, yes. It's not across our entire dealer network, but there is that possibility. But obviously the dealers are still hugely important in your industry, how are you encouraging people that it's safe to go back into a dealership to shop again and to interact in person? I, that, that's a really important point. And we've actually been working incredibly close with our dealers on this. I have a marketing subcommittee, which is a group of dealers from across the country. And with them, you know, we work with them as our sounding board and actually how do we try out and how do we address some of the, some of this consumer behavior? In discussions with them, one of the biggest thing is how do you demonstrate all of the precautions and all of the safety measures that are taking place at the dealership? So that's you know within the physical dealership, but also in how they're cleaning their car. Can they do drop-off and delivery service at, at people's homes? So we've been working with them on live streaming, actually, and working with Facebook and Facebook Live and having them communicate these messages and show consumers actually and demonstrating what they're doing in their dealership. Um, that is showing how they're how they're be you responding to these safety measures, how they're taking care of the vehicles, all of the cleaning measures are in place, and actually showing that to consumers. Because I think um, you know when people see that they're going to feel much more comfortable that precautions are being taken. And I think again when we're going back and looking at the data, there is fear. There is real fear in going to some of these physical places. And the more that we can explain what we're doing to alleviate that fear, the more likely they are to, you know, want to come in and be able to, to, to come into the dealerships. So what would you say is the biggest lasting change to the industry from the pandemic that is going to live on? I think online shopping. I think that will be the biggest one because, and again, we've seen this in retail, you know, online shopping is, it's not a new trend. It just wasn't as prevalent in the automotive space. And I think this is going to be the catalyst um, to really change that moving forward. And then on the marketing side, I think it's the ability to quickly pivot and adjust based on what consumer demand and what consumer needs are. And, you know, we, we typically spend, you know, months putting together campaigns and, and then getting it into market. And I think the need to be able, we'll still do that, but also the need to have kind of quick response messages and getting that into place is going to be equally as important. So, so it's not surprising that auto sales have suffered during the last couple months, but you could make the argument that there is a little fear right now of mass transit, of living in dense areas, 
their theories that more people could move to the suburbs and want to live in more wide open spaces for a while, which could in turn spur car sales. Do you buy that? Do you think that could help you guys in the long term? I, I think so. I think, you know, it's still very early days when we're looking at what some of those trends and behaviors are in the actual data before we can know, is this really kind of a solid trend? What we are seeing is that there is an increase in consideration among first-time tar- first car buyers, um, which we haven't, you know, that was a little bit of a declining trend. I think there are questions about is car sharing, are people going to be comfortable with car sharing if more and more companies are allowing employees to work from home, what does that mean for commuters and especially in those larger cities? So I do think that there could be a resurgence in automotive, which obviously is would be a great thing. I think also the role of the car is changing. You know, in the short term, I, I think what you're going to see is you're going to see fewer and fe- fewer people travel, you know, via air. Um, and you're going to see, especially the summer, a lot of summer vacation getting back out on the road. I think there's an emotional part of it. There's also kind of a, a, a mental part of it where people need to get out of those homes. And, and the car provides a safe place right now. And especially if you're wanting to stay safe, but you still want to get out of the home that you've been in for the last couple months, the car can provide that. We're also seeing people are working from their cars to just kind of get out of um, their home and just needing a bit of a breather. So it's it's been an interesting thing to see this resurgence. We also saw, you know, it was really interesting to see that people are using their cars to still, to still celebrate those big life moments. And when you saw teachers going to their students' houses and doing these big long caravans, everyone's in a car. And when you see kind of people going to their grandparents and showing a newborn baby through the window, you know, the car is having a different role than it has, you know, over the past few years, which is exciting for us and something we want to make sure that we're able to provide what consumers need from from product, but also from a brand and experience standpoint. So as the person running communications and marketing, have you thought about incorporating those themes into your advertising and have you already done that? We have actually. Um, so we started, it launched a couple of weeks ago. We worked with Randy Newman and he did, he had a track um, called, I think it was stay home or stay away. And so it, we used, we, we worked with him um, on, on the track. And then we also just put together footage and it was, it was Nissan's, but it was also non Nissan's, but really the role of the car and how people are using it during this time when they need to stay away, but they still want to stay close. So maybe we could play that clip. Yeah. Yeah. It's called stay away. And I wanted to shift gears a little bit to more specific Nissan news. You um, Globally, you guys made some news recently and announced a plan called Nissan Next. And as part of that announcement, your global CEO 
I believe has targeted the U.S. as a key part of that comeback plan. But in doing so, he said, quote, we are discovering the difficulty of restoring a brand that has been damaged. Can you talk about where the Nissan brand is right now in the U.S.? And if it's true, has it been damaged and how? I think over the past few years, our brand has become more and more known for it to be discount um, and for, um, yeah, and to be kind of known as you know, the car that you could get cheaply. I don't think that we have done a very good job, you know, talking about the consumer benefits of the car or the different technology that we're adding in. I think we've also suffered in that our product lifestyle is life cycle is a little bit older than than what you typically see in automotive. So in looking at all those things, what we want to do, and I think what's exciting right now is that we are on the verge of a product offensive. And over the next 18 months, we will have refreshed 70% of our lineup, which in automotive is huge. And it really started with the all new Sentra. So with that, and we have, and it'll, and the offering that we're going to have in, in all of this great new lineup is going to be a lot of safety technology, a lot of performance and a lot of innovation that's going to be very accessible. So there's going to be a lot that's going to be in the cars, but it's still going to be a very accessible price. And what we want to do is shift instead of just talking about what the price point is, really talk about the value and everything that goes into that and also show the comparison against how that stacks up to, um, to, to the competitive set and, and show the value that we're able to provide. Um, so I, I think that's a big point. And over the last years, we over the last year, we have really worked on how do you start to build those those building blocks for the brand? How do you start communicating about the product? And we've shifted our messaging into much more branded messaging versus retail, um, and we'll continue along that path. So for me, it's um, you know I I think it's it's coming out of years of really focusing on discount first and foremost. And shifting that focus to brand and product and what we can provide to consumers. So as part of this, will you be increasing your marketing spending? Over Definitely over time and especially around this new product. And I think Center was a great example. We had, it's kind of one of the biggest launches that we've had in a long time. We have some upcoming product news that I can't share right now, but it'll be a very similar case. These are going to be very big products for us. And I think it's, it's so, you know, spend we will have in place. I think it's also how we use that and making sure that, that it's incredibly effective and efficient in how we use that marketing spend. No, I know you kept communications going during the early days of the pandemic, but the fact is there's fewer places to advertise. I know Nissan does a lot in sports. Did you end up cutting a lot of your planned marketing spending during the last couple of months? Yeah, so we looked at, you know, what was going on and, and what was the demand in the marketplace. We did have a lot of, especially when you're looking at properties like NCAA Final Four, when those properties don't happen, we deferred those expenses. Um, we're in the process of, of adding back a lot more inventory, especially over the especially starting in June. So we did defer. I think we were looking at what was going on in the marketplace and it was in a very similar position. So you talk about college sports, there's still a lot of uncertainty, especially around college football. You know, will it start again in the fall? What are you hearing and how are you dealing with your sponsorship agreements right now? Yeah, so we, we um, you know, Nissan is is one of the, the founders of, or of the partnership of the Heisman Trust. Um, so we work very closely with the Heisman Trust and the Heisman Award and the NCAA. We're having active conversations with them about what that looks like, especially, you know, starting in the fall. It's really up to the schools 
And so we're still gathering all the information, looking at where we think that those schools, what those schools are going to decide as far as students coming back, but then also what the sports look like. Um, and then again, for us, it's all about planning for different scenarios and being able to react and get those into place very quickly. So we're looking at a wide variety of scenarios that could be, if, it, if everything is still the same as it was a year ago, what does that look like? What is something that's a little bit more digital or virtual in nature? Um, and then a little bit of a hybrid and then being able to get into market quickly. I think what's what has been interesting is that, you know, while live sports aren't taking place, the desire to watch them, that's still there. And I and I don't think that's going to go away. And what's interesting about this, and, and especially when you talk about sports in general, you always want it. What is that? How can you give that environment of being in the stadium and being able to enjoy the game? How can you give that and kind of that behind the scenes look to the masses? And, you know, that's always been a challenge for us as, as marketers and with sports sponsorships. And what we're kind of forced into figuring that out for real this time. And I think it's, it's allowing us to look at a lot more virtual solutions. How do you bring that excitement, even if you can't physically be at the game? Do you have any hints on how you might be able to do that? I can't share it yet. <laughs> and and we don't know where it's going to go, but I think we're looking at, you know, what do mobile units look like? A lot of virtual, um, a lot of kind of engagement over, over video. Um, it, it's a lot of how can you use dig digital tools to bring those things to life. So, you know, we have um, the Heisman house, you know, how do you bring a Heisman house experience um, to the masses, whether it's virtual, where they can interact with the players, or is there kind of a mobile unit that we could take around if, if we're not able to actually have a Heisman house that people can actually go into. So we're looking at a wide, wide range of things, but again, it's about bringing that excitement. And if that's going to be physical, what, how can we do that in a safe way? Um, and if it can't be physical, then how do we still do that in an engaging way that is representative of the Heisman house? So more marketing, new marketing requires that you can actually shoot ads can you update us on where that stands? Are you actually able to get out and shoot new work right now? Currently, we cannot. Um, so we everything that we've done over the last couple months, it's been all you know, kind of it's been all edit, and it's been pulling you know existing existing assets that we have. We are working. You know, we have something that we're we will be getting into production on very soon, and it's it's basically where can we start to shoot it. Where are their areas and, and how can we do that safely? Because if we are going to go into production, we want to make sure that everyone that's a part of that is going to be, that, that, that it's going to be safe. So we currently can't shoot today, um, but we're investigating different locations where we can and where we think that um, you, that can take place in a safe way. So you're working from home, obviously, and you, you're working from Tennessee. Are you in Tennessee? I am. Yep. I'm in Nashville. How's it been for you not being able to be with your team? um, every day? It's hard. I miss them. <laughs> I miss seeing everybody. Um, I miss the banter. I, I think one of the, I think the biggest thing is how do you keep communication going during this time? You know, how can you, how can you motivate the team? I, you know, there are a few things there's, you know, how do we do what we need to do for the brand and keep that going and keep everybody motivated, but, but also how do we keep people motivated and their well and make sure that their well being is there. What I've done is I've tried to keep a constant communication going with my full team. Uh, I have a daily email that go out that goes out that's kind of this marketing daily that that talks about business updates, how that applies to us on the marketing side, and then just tips about working from home. And that could be some of them could be serious about the need to wear masks. 
Other of them can be, you know, kind of just things that I've seen on Twitter. Thoughts of Dog is one of my favorite Twitter accounts. Um, and it's just kind of sharing and bringing some levity, but also making sure that everyone is understanding what's going on in the company and they feel like they're a part of and understanding what's happening. So there's that piece of it. I think, you know, I have, you know, constant dialogue and daily meetings with my direct reports. And it's, it's being able to just do that in a way that feels right. I think what we're all feeling right now, there's a lot of Zoom fatigue. And at first it was great because it was a way to be able to see people. And I think as the fatigue has kind of set in, then it's, okay, you know, can, can we do quick phone calls as people are, you know, going out for a walk to get some fresh air and things like that? I've also added in, we have a two-hour break um, between 11 and 1 where there are no Zoom meetings. And that's so people can, you know, kind of catch up on email, work on presentations, take care of childcare. That's also on top of all of this. Um, and try to give people a little bit of a breather so we're not on, you know, 12 hours of Zoom calls without moving. Um, and, you know, to me, again, it's about adapting. And, you know, once those, once we don't need that or if we need to pivot in a different direction, then being open to that um, and trying it out and seeing if it's helping how everyone's feeling and adapting. When do you expect to be back in the office? We're still working through the details of that. Our production is going to be starting back up in June. As far as coming back to our headquarters in Nashville, as well as our other offices, we're still working through the details of the dates for that, as well as what that looks like, um, given that there are still restrictions in place. So you started in this role a little over a year ago, I believe, right? Yes. And you were in working for Nissan in Japan. Um, how has the adjustment been coming back to the U.S.? And are there things that you learned in Japan that you're now applying? Yeah, I I learned a lot. I would say that actually I was in Japan and living in Tokyo and our office is based in Yokohama. I think I learned more in those two years than I did kind of leading up, which is kind of crazy to, to think about. But I learned really about communication. And I think in Western cultures, we communicate and we kind of manage very much in the moment. There's on the spot coaching and it's kind of, you know, address whatever it is or provide the feedback and everyone moves on. When you're working in an environment where there's, you know, English isn't the first language. And I was actually managing a multinational team, both in Japan, as well as in Europe, in the U.S. and in the Middle East. When you're dealing with people where English isn't the first language, communication becomes incredibly important, especially as you're giving direction, especially as you're giving direction across multiple time zones. And I really started to look at, at planning to manage, which I think is, I, I remember, you know, I've had executive coaches and, and been through, you know, management courses and business school. And, you know, the idea of planning and planning to manage, you, you hear about it and it's intuitive. But to actually sit down and do it is something quite different. And I found that I really needed to think through how I was going to be communicating, what type of direction I needed to provide. Um, and, and I actually spent time every morning going through that. And before I got to work, making sure that I had, you know, kind of what my plan was for the day. And then at night, going back and reflecting on it and then optimizing it for the next day. And that was both for my team as well as, you know, for my leadership team as well. And I think that I, and it was, I kind of trained myself. I'm a runner. So, you know, I, I, I react very well to, to athletic metaphors. And so I kind of trained myself up and I realized when I came back, I had that muscle. And so that for me, it's about, let's provide clear direction, 
try to get the information out as quickly as possible so people understood what to do and, and what how they needed to proceed into the next phase. So going back even further in your career, explain how you got interested in, in the automotive category in the first place. What, what excites you about cars? Sure. I, I mean, it probably starts when, when I was a little girl, I was, um, I was sitting in the back of my parents' station wagon at the time and you didn't have to, you know, the, the seatbelts were, were, we were probably not buckled in. We'll just put it that way. And I was looking out the back window and I saw a, a Porsche 911 and I was drawn into the headlamps. And there was something about that. I was just really um, inspired and amazed by how you could shape sheet metal. And so I just got drawn into the design of automotive, you know, as I became a teenager, you know, cars always meant you know, freedom and you can get away from your parents. So I always enjoyed driving. When I graduated from the University of Missouri, I was offered a consultant job for Mercedes-Benz and just, it was a brand that I always had admired and um, had loved the cars in the past and just kind of, and it just, it, it all felt very natural. And I just started to learn different aspects of the business. I was working in different departments across the company, whether it was business development center or certified pre-owned or product management or marketing and just learning and absorbing the different aspects of the business. And that's, you know, it's the thing that's really great about automotive is that it's this intersection of design and technology and manufacturing. And all of those things was just something that my, you know, my curiosity um, really was just inspired by. So what's in your driveway today? I have an Infiniti Q60. And so the, the story there, so I was the marketing director in the U.S. for Infiniti, and we launched that car, and um, I had or had ordered one as a company car, and then I and then I got the, the, you know, the request for me to move to Japan, so I never got to drive the car um, or as, as my own company car, so I wanted to make sure that I had that opportunity. Before that, I had a Nissan Altima, which I loved, and that was, you know, our, one of our newer products at the time, and just had a lot of fun driving that car and, and interacting with all the technology as well. So we talked earlier about the car sort of becoming a sanctuary again. Where have you been driving to escape it all right now? Yeah, so there is a great park um, in Nashville called Percy Warner Park, and it's just woodsy, and you can... I go out for long runs on the trails, and I just... I like driving out there because you... I, I live in the city, and you can just get out of the city and get into where everything's green. So I, I like to do that drive a lot. All right. We'll leave it there. Thank you, Allison, for joining us on the AdLib podcast. Thank you very much. That was Allison Witherspoon, VP of Marketing, Communications, and Media, Nissan North America. My name is EJ Schultz, Assistant Managing Editor for AdAge. I want to thank our producer, Max Sternlich and invite you to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite player. Catch you next time.